Hello, and welcome to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, a podcast sponsored by the Turo Center on Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Your TFC podcast hosts are me, Professor Gina Bardwell, and Dr. Elizabeth Uni. Across academic disciplines, Turo faculty are producing great work, and the Faculty Chronicles wants you to hear all about it. TFC podcasts will highlight faculty chatting about their favorite project in research, teaching, learning, science, medicine, technology, and so much more. So let's get busy building community, connection, and continuous conversation tour-wide. Our next Faculty Chronicle guest is on deck waiting to chat. Hello, I'm Professor Gina Bardwell, your host today on the Faculty Chronicles podcast, sponsored by the Center of Excellence in Teaching and Learning and the Office of the Provost. Today, I'm interviewing our special Faculty Chronicles guest, Dr. Michael Liu. Dr. Liu is an Assistant Dean of Clinical and Professional Affairs and an Associate Professor in the Department of Pharmacy Practice. Dr. Liu has extensive experience as a frontline clinical pharmacist on all aspects of adult critical care medicine and health system pharmacy administration. His passion and expertise also encompasses teaching, scholarly activities, and research. During his tenure at Yale, Dr. Liu successfully led an establishment of new pharmacy services. These services achieved high-level metrics shown to improve client safety and a reduction in patient readmissions. Some of Dr. Liu's awards, honors, and education include receiving the 2022 Turo University Presidential Faculty Excellence Award for Exemplary Service. In 2021, he earned his MBA from the University of Nebraska in Lincoln. In 2020, Dr. Liu was bestowed the Presidential Citation Society of Critical Care Medicine Honor and so many other awards, too numerous to say here. Today, he will share his experience tackling vaccine hesitancy in communities of color. He also shares his thoughts on the future of community medicine. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Liu, and for sharing your expertise with our audience. So Dr. Liu, when you were growing up, were you interested in the medical profession? Was pharmaceutical medicine even on your radar anywhere, you know, in terms of what you wanted to pursue? Yes, Gina, I, I think that's a very good question for all of us, right? Where does the journey begin? In essence, uh, in high school, I actually didn't know what I wanted to be. It wasn't until the first semester of college where interest in pharmacy sparked. And the reason why is, Gina, is how accessible and patient the pharmacies are. If I were to get medication questions asked or even healthcare-related questions asked, calling the physician's office will probably not get you very far. Whereas in the community pharmacy, not only are you able to ask the question that you have, uh, but also they take their time out to provide you resources and options. Even before the internet was crucial, and even after the internet, you have so much information now. How will you get the best, most reliable trust information? And that is really from the pharmacy, whether it's pharmacist, the technician, so on and so forth. Another key thing is, Gina, 
with pharmacy is that the human connection is there. It's not a person just rushing you in and out. That person really cares about you before, during, and after the service you care. So to me, that is when I got into pharmacy, really the first semester when I saw that, it really sparked my interest and excited me to join in on the profession there. Yeah, really spending time with people who have questions that, that they don't have answers to. I remember going to uh, the pharmacy at CVS and asking a question, and the pharmacist came from behind the counter, walked down the aisle with me, picked up two different medicines, and started to explain what was on the back. I was in shock. It was such a wonderful moment. So I absolutely understand what you're saying there. So how long did it take to structure and roll out such a comprehensive immunization effort and create the messaging surrounding it? Because we had to mobilize rapidly, but at the same time, we wanted to make sure it is well designed before we execute. It took about a few weeks uh, before we roll out the immunization and public health effort. One of the key things we said to ourselves before we launched the effort is what will differentiate us from everyone else, from the chain pharmacy to independent pharmacy. And one of the things we're going to go over and hopefully discuss further is really how, again, the accessibility of the pharmacy. We're not just going to hang out at Toro College Pharmacy and get vaccines. We will drive out there, whether it's Long Island, upstate New York, even New Jersey, just to ensure you get what you want. We will come to you, not the other way around. And also our customer base. We could easily say, oh, let's just serve Toro University and the colleges of Toro. We didn't just do that. We serve the young. We went to high schools. We went to a campsite to give COVID vaccine and screening. Even the elderly population as well. We went to some of the elderly's home to actually give them the vaccine and screening. That is what differentiates us from the other services provided by chain pharmacies and other pharmacies. How might institutions be better prepared should we face another community health crisis? Gina, in order for institutions to better prepare for another health crisis, which is going to happen, it's going to rain, right? It's sooner or later, it's going to rain. Is one of the key things is back to the accessibility. All of us, even during this recording, we're using the internet. We say, oh, wow, you know, the internet is such a great thing. Everyone should have it. But unfortunately, the truth is not everyone has access to the internet. During the COVID pandemic, the early phases, there's remote learning, remote ordering, remote everything. Everything was remote. And unfortunately, not everyone has that. There was a lot of news article during that time, even by the mayor of New York City, saying that the internet is not a luxury, it is a necessity. And I think during the pandemic, it proves that point. So in order to better face that, we need to start with that, build better infrastructure and, and access for everyone uh, in the New York City metropolitan area. Oh, I agree. And your team have done tremendous work on, on tackling vaccine hesitancy. You use this, I guess what you would call a multi-prong approach, vaccine ambassadors, motivational interviews, on and on. So what do you think worked the best? I mean, what was the best approach in, in improving vaccine hesitancies in communities of color? You touch upon a great point, Gina. The vaccine ambassadors interviews and information is the best way to go. And we have done that not through necessarily just ourselves, but we use influencers of that community whether that is musicians, artists, clergy, I mean, we need to explain to them, look, we're out here for your community's good. We're not here for anything. There's no ulterior motive. We're here to help you and everyone else because we are part of the community at large in New York City. If I walk down to X community, 
and they see me with a lab coat or with a suit on, there's a good probability they won't listen to me or trust me and understandably so based on everything that they've experienced. So therefore, I need to convey that message to their influencers where they say, you know, what, I trust this person more so. Again, nothing offensive. It's just the way history dictated the relationship to be. And if we have that influencer, and fortunately we do have that, and they see the kindness and truthfulness of our heart that we are genuinely there to help the community, uh, they will help convey the message for us. And ultimately, clients will come in and hopefully get what they want. So that was very helpful. So the community influencer, so it's the a clergy person or someone that they know, a, a community leader, someone that they see as a person they can trust. Absolutely. And we have total employees, right, of all sorts of race, color, religion, you name it, that is associated with community around the college area or any area to have a relationship with. They trust them. And yeah. I think it's okay for them to convey the message for us. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So tell us about the grant you received for doing this community vaccine project. Yeah, so Gina, you know, not to brown nose, essentially, but... <laughs> go ahead, go right ahead. <laughs> yeah, a little brown nosing is okay. But the truth is the, the total university really helped support this vaccine and public health project. If I were to name a couple of people instrumental uh, from the university, you know, Rabbi Kripka, really pull all the resources we need. Wanda Hernandez ensured our shipment was up to par. You know, it's amazing how efficient she is in getting things done. Uh, Provost Amar being a lab director, designee and support. Uh, Dean Steyer helping us, uh, giving us the immunization uh, agreement in order for us to provide vaccines at will. And our Dean Cohen. Uh, so really those are the individuals that's really supportive. And how are they supportive? really to fulfill the university's mission. And I want to read it verbatim, that only the first sentence, the university's mission is in the service of knowledge, compassion, and social justice. And I think through all these public health efforts, we have achieved that through their support. Wow, that's something because it really does get at the heart of everything. That accessibility piece you you have talked about so far, it's as if Turrell heard the call and came up with the solution. Yep, exactly. So uh, now I read that you're scheduled to do some kind of a progress report this year. Uh, So what do you think is working or has worked? And are there still some challenges? Yeah, so one of the key challenges, and fortunately there's a solution to it and we've implemented is sustainability. Going to all these sites sounds easy, right? You know, going to Long Island, upstate New York, all over the five boroughs. It's not just a physical toe, it's all the coordination plan, make sure that site is ready. You got to make sure the supplies go there and back. How about the sign-up sheet, you know, by appointment? Is that accessible to everyone? What if you're walking? How do you do? A lot of these logistics does take a lot of coordination to do this. And this is sustainable on top of what you're already doing. The solution to it and the kind of lesson learned is, Make sure to get not just your residents and fellows who have graduated from their PharmD school, but also leverage your interns and your students. Give them the experience to be on the field. Take everything that they've learned in class and actually apply in the classroom. In a way, you're giving them the experience, right? But you're also diluting the work and giving them, lightening your own burden, so to speak, and giving them the workload. That way, everyone can learn and grow and uh, make a big difference in their life. So I think that is the way we can handle sustainability very well. That's quite a project. And yet 
it immerses everyone together. Well, leadership, as you described before, is the first piece to solving the, the problem. And then getting your, your students and like you said, in, internships and boots on the ground. It sounds like that is, is really a good way to solve, solve those issues. Correct, yep. So when you hear the metrics you and your team were able to produce like 1,589 COVID doses, administered and or 7,360 screening specimens processed. What do you think? How does that make you feel? <laughs> Gina, these numbers are very impressive in terms of quantity. I think what's more important is to highlight the events that we held. For example, I, we could have administered all of those doses and screening at, the tar, at our pharmacy and then that's it. We didn't just do that. We went beyond our scope. Again, kind of what we mentioned earlier, all over the metropolitan area, hard to reach places. We went to places where we've administered maybe five or six doses. However, we're not going to let those patients down, just be clients down, just because only a few people want it doesn't mean we shut down the event. We have to be there for these individuals. Um, so the, the event quantity and the event locations and venues to me are more important than just the numbers themselves. We talked a little bit uh, before about the supply chain. How did that work? the supply chain during this time? Were there any constraints or do you think it went pretty well? Yeah, the supply strain, I think, Gina, all of us have been affected, right? That toilet paper fiasco will be a good example. Paper <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, we did have an issue with supply chain. Fortunately, we would have resolved it quickly. Here's everyone, everyone knows this one. The White House, you know, they were, they were having, they were offering free COVID testing, right? They were saying, oh, you know, sign up through this link and we'll mail you a COVID screening kit. It's great that the White House did that because they pull all these COVID kits to distribute. The issue is, well, they pull these kits from healthcare professionals, including our college. Yeah. So then our purchasers are like, hey, uh, Dr. Liu, we're, we're running low on this product because the White House pretty much took it. Here are some alternative products. The alternative products, we wanna make sure the quality, the efficacy, and also operationally is just as good uh, if not better than what the White House has. Uh, fortunately, uh, using, again, our resources, knowledge, and also our purchaser, we're able to get those uh, fairly square. And then when we executed around that time, there was no issues. There was, uh, no one felt a significant impact from it at all. So how did you know in this really compressed and intensified time period, what therapies were working? I read, you wrote about some of this, the immunosuppressive therapies, the monoclonal antibodies, and the antiviral therapies. How did you know what to administer, what to use? I think this is a very great point in the sense that there's a lot of information out there. And that's one reason why I love this podcast. It gets the, the correct information out there to everyone. And Everyone saw, let's say, the CDC or Dr. Fauci, right, from the White House saying, oh, we recommend this. And then a month later, oh, no, we recommend that. Oh, no, this changed from 10 days to five days isolation and so on and so forth. All these constant change in information. They're not changing information because they're making things up left and right. It's called data is constantly coming out. There's a lot of research and information occurring rapidly during that phase. And what we do is we actually use our resources. For example, Toro College Pharmacy has a drug information center. We have them piled through the literature. We also have our expert faculty doing the literature research. Like, okay, Dr. X, you reviewed that article. Dr. Y, you reviewed it. I'll review this one. Let's all get gathered together and not just 
comb through it, but also list out what were some key findings, what worked, what are some of the limitations of the information. And last but not least, how do we take what we discuss as a group and the drug information, how do we distribute this to the public without being swaying one or the other? Just be like, okay, public, this is the study summary. They summarize, but here's some limitations to be considered. That way they don't think like, oh, you know, we're pushing this agenda. No, this is the honest interpretation of the facts. Whatever decision you make is up to you as an individual. We respect your decision-making. And I think taking all of these literature and making it digestible uh, for the public is extremely crucial. And that's how we handle that. I listened to as many of the workshops and seminars that the medical school and the pharmaceutical school had during the pandemic from 2020 all the way through because you all were so informative and so on top of it. And I really appreciated it. So that was it's really good to know that Turo is a leader in this kind of work. Going forward, how might the delivery of services and care improve under catastrophic conditions? Yep. So Gina, we all have emergency plans, right? Plan B always, right? Whether that's professionally, personally. I'll look at, take a step further than that is that we need to have lifelong learning and training, obviously of everyone, but of healthcare professionals. Here's a perfect example where they actually helped out. In the summer of 2022, there was an outbreak of monkeypox. And monkeypox is not a traditional therapy that most healthcare professionals worry about because it's so rare. It didn't happen commonly. Maybe the COVID pandemic sent all the healthcare professionals into a let's nip this in the bud quickly before it becomes a wildfire. So the training and the application of the vaccine and the treatment surrounding monkeypox was implemented pretty quickly. Unfortunately, the cases of monkeypox was arrested quite quickly. So I think having that COVID pandemic and knowing how important getting the information training and promptness of implementing plan, I think having that uh, was very helpful in dealing with emergency crises such as monkeypox. And hopefully not, we don't get any more hopefully, but it will rain and that will provide us, again, the springboard of how to handle those things. So what are your hopes for the future of community medicine? So Gina, you and I, everyone else, our children, our cousins, everyone, we should never forget about this pandemic. Uh, always remember how it impacted you as a person, your family members, friends, so on and so forth. And even if you weren't impacted by the actual infection itself, Everyone, including yourself, have been impacted in some way, socioeconomically, emotionally. Uh, so don't forget about the pandemic. Don't forget about what worked for you during that time. We Things that we take for granted, family members that really cares about you, um, resources like the internet. You see how useful that was. Uh, we were all able to remote work for most of us. We were able to isolate very usefully. We need to be open-minded towards any new changes because what worked for us back then might not work for us anymore. The COVID strain, I mean, it's no longer the same as we all know. That's just an example of that. And last but not least, we're all in this together. Everybody in this entire planet, try to keep that in mind, whether that's masking, vaccinating. I mean, we all kind of have our opinions about it and we, you, we're all entitled to. Just remember that we're all in this together. We only have one earth. Try the best we can to work together as much as possible. Such wise words. So now we're coming to the end of the 
podcast and I have a final question for you. So if you could have dinner with any person, past or present, who has influenced your best practices to date, you know, your philosophy, who would that person be and why? That's a lovely question. I gotta say, I would say for that dinner, it would have to be my wife. Because no matter how great of a public health service you're offering, no matter how much you think you can, you know, stand on top of the world and carry the boulder, uh, you cannot do it yourself. There's no way uh, that's absolutely possible. Just to illustrate that point, during the pandemic, when we're running around offering these services, it's a lot of emotional and physical toll. Going to places, hearing all these things, being there for your clients, whether that's during the event or even after the event, you know, those CDC cards, remember those vaccine cards? Well, people have lost them, okay? You don't just go, hey, you know, I give it to you, see you later. It's more like, okay, now I got to mail you a new one or give you proof or something afterwards happened. Uh, you got to follow through with that. And what my wife showed to me is that you want to offer the best service possible, but also be there for the clients, okay? And what I learned through that is like when I got home from all these services, let's say I went three days nonstop, maybe got like four or five hours of sleep every day. She ensured everything in the house is perfect with the kids and everything. Uh, usually we shared a load, but during that period, a period of time, she would do a lot of the work. And I'm forever thankful for that. Now, translating that to patient care or client care, we say to ourselves, you know what? We could give the COVID vaccine. We could give COVID screening. We'll give the flu vaccine. Why do we have to give it separately? Why not just bundle everything all at once? You know, uh, why not also offer medication question? Be like, hey, I'm a pharmacist. While I'm giving you all these things, if you have any medication questions, ask me. And we did that. We actually bundle up a lot of the care so that clients can just come once and done rather than go to like four or five different places, four or five different times to us. And hopefully with that, it's, it's conveying the message, look, we care about your time. We value your stress. We actually care about you as a human being. We want to share dialogue before, during, and after care. And that to me, I think my wife showed me uh, directly and indirectly as well. Great answer. So Dr. Liu, we so appreciate you spending time with us today. And the important work you do for under-resourced communities does not go unnoticed. Your dedication, your expertise, and empathy in delivering pharmaceutical medicine really sets a standard for us. So keep us posted on all the work you're doing now and in the future and come back, come back and be our guest and tell us all about it. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you, Gina. It's a true pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for tuning in to the Faculty Chronicles, TFC, Turo's podcast featuring the projects and work of faculty throughout the Turo College and University system. TFC is sponsored by the Office of the Provost and Kettle, the Center for Excellence in Teaching and Learning. We hope you like what you heard and will keep listening. So join us next time on the Faculty Chronicles as we highlight and share faculty achievements that build community, connection, and continuous conversation.